Okay, so professionally speaking, can we agree that a singer has to protect their voice and a dancer has to protect their legs? Are we good with that? Okay, if that is all true, then it must make sense, of course, that a piano player has to protect their fingers. Because if those fingers run into any outside trouble, the days of playing the piano become severely compromised, right? Okay, well, my guest today, he makes his living playing the piano, but he also loves doing martial arts. Now, you're probably thinking, wait, doesn't that totally put his fingers in peril? Yes, it does. And your next thought might be, well, wouldn't that be an uncomfortable space to always be occupying every single time he takes the mat to spar? The answer to that is, of course it is. So why does he do it? Well, because my guest today is most comfortable when he's uncomfortable. You gotta beat this guy. Sit tight. I'm Alex Green, and this is Stereo Embers, the podcast. Check this out. is the music of my guest today on the program, Chad Lawson. Let me tell you a little bit about Chad Lawson. You're about to learn a great deal about Chad Lawson in our conversation, so I'll give you a few essentials before we get started. The classically trained pianist first had the inclination he wanted to be behind the keys after watching Sha Na Na on TV when he was five. Years later, Lawson went to Berkeley College of Music, where he declared himself a jazz performance major. But while there, he became an in-demand studio musician, so he dropped out, not seeing much point in staying in school. We talk about this a lot in our conversation, so it's about to make more sense in a few minutes. In the meantime, here are some career highlights of Chad Lawson. He toured with Babette Reinhardt, formed the Chad Lawson Trio, toured as part of Julio Iglesias' band, hit number one on the Billboard Classical Albums chart, composed for the podcast Lore, Unobscured, and Cabinet of Curiosities, signed a deal with Decca Records, and launched his own podcast called Comet Down. Inspired by everyone from Keith Jarrett to Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers' Ben Tench, Lawson plays with fluidity, finesse, and grace. He's a dexterous and thoughtful player who's innovative, creative, and intuitive. And he never does the same thing twice. Now, you probably think, oh, that's the kind of thing a podcast host always says. But it's not. I mean, it is. But it's not in this case. You don't believe me? Consider this. Lawson put out a jazz reinterpretation of The Wizard of Oz. He released an album of covers, including tracks by Soundgarden and The Police. He reinterpreted Chopin with a violinist and a cellist. And his newest track is a take on Billie Eilish's When the Party's Over. You can't pin this guy down. And given his martial arts background, I'm guessing you really can't pin him down. 
This is a revealing chat, and one I think you're going to really find has some pretty amazing life lessons in it. I know, I know. That sounds like another podcast host thing to say, but trust me, it's true. So let's get to it. Here's me and Chad Lawson having a conversation right here on Stereo Embers, the podcast. Personally, it's actually been really interesting. I feel like 2020 was really a year that we saw transparency in people or really what people really were at the core, uh, be it good or bad. And um, that was very interesting for me, Uh, kind of gut-wrenching in certain areas and then also um, inspiring in other areas. You know, the inspiring part being, you know, my music is very calming, very kind of meditative, very kind of emotional healing kind of music. And so I'm used to people writing and saying, hey, you know, I'm going through a really difficult time in my life, you know, be it a divorce or, you know, a, a loved one passing or what have you. And so I go home and I listen to your music and it, and it helps. But this year in particular, I don't think a day went by where someone was writing me saying, you're holding my hand through the most anxious time I've ever experienced in my entire life. You know, one lady wrote in particular, and it just, I just started weeping when I read this. Um, so Saturday morning, I woke up 7 a.m. And, and the email said, I'm listening to such and such a song. And the tempo of the song is in tandem with my husband's, husband's breathing as he's taking his final few breaths. And yeah, this is someone, and, and I, I thought about this yesterday because I was thinking about, you know, our conversation and I was just kind of going over just kind of my experiences this past year. And the interesting thing is like, I have no idea who that person is. I've never met her. I've never heard from her. And I actually replied and to which she didn't respond. And I think the interesting thing is, is twofold. I, I think this year in particular, we have had to sit and isolate and reflect and has made us much more vulnerable because here is someone that has no idea who I am and is sharing the most intimate details of a very, you know, a moment of her life that she'll never, ever forget. And she allowed me to be a part of that, whether, you know, knowing or not. And I think that's really what I'm personally experiencing is like so many people are, and I don't know if like it's their catharsis of just sitting down and writing these emails. And for them, you know, there is a science actually, to be honest, I've I've been studying for the last couple of years, uh, the science of music and, and what it actually does to your brain, the effects on your brain. And so like physically writing down things actually does something that we can just, anyway. Um, And so I don't know for them, if that has been like a, you know, a cathartic process for them, like a healing process, not only to listen to the music and be overcome by those emotions, but also just to sit down and just to be vulnerable. And I think that's really just tremendous. So I'm, I'm looking at it in that light, you know, this year and, and, you know, with the new album, I'm supposed to be everywhere from Toronto to Tokyo, and, and I'm not. And so it was, you know, the pivot was, so what do I do? You know, how do I still engage with the audience? How do I still, how do I still connect with people even though there's no stage? And so, you know, and with 
having so many people reach out and say that you're you're helping me right now that I just wanted to get into the grit with people. And so that's, you know, why we created this podcast as far as like calm it down, which is kind of like this meditative, just helping people with anxieties. And, and so for me, it's been a different year. You know, I've, I've really had to look back and say, okay, well, what do I do now? I can't just sit and wait for this to pass. Um, what can I be doing to engage and here we are, you and I having this conversation. Which is, you know, if you were Tokyo to, uh, to you know, if you're on the road, as you were saying, uh, it'd, be a difficult, it'd be difficult to nail it down because you're so busy. Um, so it's, it's been really gratifying. One of the nice things to come out of this whole process is being able to chat with so many people who are available, you know? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it, exactly. It's, it's been wonderful, to be honest. Yeah. yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's been really centering. Um, how has that changed the process for you of creativity? In other words, when you sit down now, you must think about that email, which is incredibly affecting. Um, it almost feels like your role as an artist has been emotionally augmented by that piece of information. You know, as a composer, as cliche as that sounds, you never really... You sit down on the piano, or at least me personally, I write a piece of music and I put it out there. And once it leaves the door of the studio, you generally don't know what happens to it, right? You never really hear back the response. And so with this thing in particular, with like this year in particular, with so many people reaching out, I'm beginning to hear those things. And so I have to be cognizant of trying not to manipulate the music. Right. So because, I mean, that's so easy to do because like our emotions are so affected musically, it would be really obviously inauthentic and also just to put it bluntly wrong, um, just for me to say, OK, I'm going to write some music that's going to like allow people to cry. And, and that's just it's just so insincere. And I don't think that's actually, um, you know, going to be fruitful for either for anyone, be it the artist or the listener. And so for me personally, I have to say. I almost have to detach it, you know? So like, there's that whole mindset of like, you know, the key to failure is to please everybody. And so I, I have to stay with that mindset of like, what do I want to write right now? And if people come along, that means that they were supposed to hear that, that music, those emotions were supposed to land where it does. And if people dismiss it, or if it just doesn't, you know, touch their soul, then there's something else that will. And, and, and so I, I think that's um, how I have to sit down and write as far as music is concerned. Um, I'm hopeful with this year. I don't want to like jinx it too much. Yeah. Um, and, and so that's definitely been my mindset the last couple of weeks, as far as even just, you know, beginning to write and even just being at the piano and I have to, I have a whole different writing process. Um, I basically have to wait until my mind or my body or soul or spirit, whatever, um, tells me to write. And so it's one of those things where I can go months without writing anything. And it's not until I start getting melodies in my head that absolutely just drive me bonkers that then I sit down and I write them out. So generally I will write the pieces in my head first, um, and then sit down and write them out. And, and usually when that happens, I usually write the album within a day or two. And the, the longest an album has ever taken me is, is five days. Like with, um, uh, but with this most recent one, you finally knew, I had two weeks to write the album. And so it really was one of those things where 
fortunately, I had those melodies in my head and they were already brewing. And it was just a matter of sitting down and, and writing them out. So I, I, know, I know some people, um, some artists, they, you know, they take 45 minutes every day and they write. And, and, and for them, that is their, their process of doing it. But I found for me that it usually just kind of falls flat if I uh, take, that, take that approach. And so um, I just basically have to wait until my mind says, okay, it's time to write. So Here we go. I'm very curious to hear what this this next one is going to be like because it is, um, you know, it's sunny outside right now. I'm looking outside my studio door, and you know, I, I feel like people are a little bit more hopeful than the last couple of weeks, and um, so I'm really kind of curious to see what that brings. Yeah, well, I mean, you after you know hundreds of interviews with artists, you're the first guy to say. I might go months and not write anything. And you don't seem like it stresses you out. No, no, not at all. I mean, there's, there are times where I don't touch the piano for a month. Really? What? To, to where, where, to where, because it's, it's like anything, but there has to be a balance. Yeah. Right. And so like, sometimes I honestly, I won't even go. I have, two, you can see in my studio, I have two pianos right behind me. Yeah. I don't, I don't play a single note. I don't go near them because if you get into that pattern of like, if you're eating a peanut butter and jelly sandwich every day for six months, it gets pretty bland after a while. And so that's my, my mental process with, you know, even just touching the piano, be it scales, be it practicing, be it anything. Because what happens is once you sit down after that extended period, as you begin to hear colors you've never heard before. And it's like, oh, this is tremendous. My technique is crap, but my ears are hearing like really beautiful things. And so now I'm really curious, you know, with, with, with what kind of color is, is on the palette right now. So for me, you know, it's healthy. And, and also for me, the other thing is I, I try to do extremes. Um, Pre-COVID, um, I'm a very, I love to run, um, but pre-COVID I was doing various things such as, you know, Brazilian jiu-jitsu, which I've been doing for about a year. And prior to that, some other martial arts, martial arts stuff. And it's one of those things where it's so extreme. It's so a complete opposite of music, especially like calming, classical-ish kind of, you know, kind of stuff that I think you can find whatever your craft is in other things. And it doesn't have to be within these four walls of the studio. You know, it can be, you know, walking or it can be, you know, trying to learn how to bake chocolate chip cookies. You know, my wife is a professional baker. And so there's times where I'm like, hey, show me how to do this. And she's like, get out. This is my <laughs> domain. Um, but, you, you know, I, I think it's one of those things where like, if you can find yourself to whatever your, your craft is and only that, I think it gets kind of tired, to be honest, at least for me personally. It's interesting to hear you talk about martial arts because I would imagine if you were going to spar, you know, you would say, okay, listen, take it easy. I'm a pianist. <laughs> let's not, <laughs> let's protect the fingers. I mean, you're putting your, your hands, which are your superpowers in yeah. harm's way. You're really testing them. Is that a little bit stressful for you? Or do you think about that? It's more stressful for my wife, to be honest. I mean, there was one day I came home and I, I kind of like, I don't think I cracked a rib, but I definitely, it didn't feel good uh, for a couple of days. And she, she goes, Chad, what are you doing? really come on and so i i that's when i did fortunately with covid coming around that's when i was like okay let me think about some other stuff here because i'm you know i don't need to be breaking a finger um but i miss it though i'm i miss those uh you know those extremes where you're not thinking about music but then you bring those elements in of you know getting 
for me personally, I love being the weakest link in everything that I do because it just makes me really want to strive and do something really great. And so I love that element of like, you know, you have a really good day where you, you know, do something amazing. You know, you go for a great run or you, you know, you create something really unique and then you bring that atmosphere into the studio, you know, and so you have that sense of like, accomplishment, I guess, if you will. I'm not really a goal-oriented person, but I, I do love the idea of, you know, finding elements to bring in to, to music that isn't music-focused. Yeah, because I think that there is, I, I know how this sounds, this sounds very hokey, but there's music in the world, right? There's music, the steps that you're taking when you're running, they're syncopated, they're percussive. Yeah. Um, the, the rhythm of the wind, I mean, yep. there, there are sounds everywhere. And we hear the, the phrase mindfulness all the time. Mm -hmm. And I think sometimes people use it and they're not mindful of what it even actually means, right? But it actually just means the idea of awareness. And so I see what you're saying. Like, even if, you're, if your wife is mixing something in a bowl, there's a rhythm to that mix, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Um, is that, is that kind of what you're, what you're referring to? Yeah, very much, very much. And in, even, you know, even on runs, you know, people are always asking, you know, what do I listen to? And it's two things. I, I don't listen to artists that are in my same circle. Uh, so as far as like similar stylistically, um, I don't listen to, you know, Max Richter and some other people, Olafur and those guys that are in this circle. Because I, I never want anyone to say, oh, you're trying to be like so-and-so, you know, because right. I come from a really heavy jazz background. And the whole purpose of jazz, not purpose, but the whole um, practice of jazz is hearing what someone does, stealing that, and then making it yours. And then you're turning, turning it into your own self. And so I have to be very aware, as you said. Um, and so I actually, I don't listen to similar artists, but the other thing is I love to listen to like something that you wouldn't expect me to be listening to. Like I'm a huge Nine Inch Nails fan. You know, I love Bjork, you know, when um, I love Lord, you know? And so when I run with music like that, I'm hearing a kick drum pattern and a Bjork song where I'm like, that would make a really cool cello part, right? And so it's like, if you, again, going back to that idea of getting out of your circle, and then trying to find those little elements. You know, I, I love the old story of how Steve Jobs, he would usually not take meetings within an office space. He would always do it on a walk because it got you out of your environment and it got your mind to look at things different. And there are some days where I'm like, oh my gosh, that's a great idea. And so I'll stop and I'll open, open up Evernote on my phone and I'll make a quick little note. And then I'll run 20 feet. And I'm like, oh, that's a good idea. And so I'll stop and I'll, and by the time like the, the run is done, I've maybe gone maybe a mile because I've stopped so many times to open up the Evernote to put in notes. But that's the whole purpose. It's like, you know, getting out of your, you know, four walls to be able to do something really creative. So your, um, your process is really interesting because it flies in the face of what so many people would expect, I think, you know, a pianist who's doing martial arts is right. <laughs> somebody who is somebody who has a jazz background, but listens to Nine Inch Nails. Right. Um, you are a very unpredictable person. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm constantly like trying to say, trying to look at things differently, you know, be it even, you know, a couple of years ago, I did this album called the Chopin Variations, where you have this young audience that I've kind of nicknamed the Spotify generation. And it's a young audience that perhaps has never listened to classical music and no fault of their own. It's just that they've never been exposed to it. 
Right. right. And so like, you know, a, a lot of, um, many young people, they're not growing up with a piano in the house or taking violin lessons or what have you. And so they just don't have that in their, you know, their pocket. And so the idea was like, okay, so instead of trying to bring them to Chopin, let me look at it the other way and bring Chopin to them. And so I took, you know, like, I think it's like 12 pieces and rearranged Chopin's work. So like if Chopin were to record an album today, what would it sound like? And would it still be, you know, as quote unquote classical in nature? And so I went, I made Xerox copies of all the pieces. And then I went through and I analyzed it like a jazz chart. I'm like, okay, here's F minor. And then it goes to the five and blah, blah, blah. And then I tried to take all the melodies and scale them down to bare minimalism. Because I mean, that's what I think he would do today. It, it would be very um, reduced or minimalist, if you would. And so then I reached out to two of my friends. So one of them, um, Judy King, she's a violinist for Lady Gaga and just like a whole host of other people. And then the cellist, his name is Ruben Codelli. And the same thing. I mean, he's played with Snoop Dogg to, you know, Philip Glass or whatever. And I said, hey, this is the idea. This is what I'm thinking we should do. And I was like, great. And so that album did insanely well. I mean, it, you know, hit number one billboard. It was number one iTunes twice. CBS Sunday morning featured the album and this poll piece and everything. And it was one of those things where it's like, again, outside looking in, how can we change something and make something really unique out of something that we already have? And, and, you know, sometimes that's actually why I take such a long pause from the piano because like I see it every day day right and there's 88 keys and they're you know they're two colors and after a while they look really drab and it's like how can you approach something different and so i'm just constantly trying to do that you know i did an album called re-piano which is like looping piano um because i was playing festivals over in europe and i was seeing fewer pianos on stage and a lot more you know ipads now that was really interesting you know because i'm I'm like, okay, so, you know, today's musicians, they, they connect more, they relate more to iPads than they do with pianos. So how can I marry those two and bridge the idea of traditional and touchscreen? So, you know, if you, when I'm playing, if someone, you know, sees me walk out and sit down and play the piano and like, it's a really, you know, beautiful piece or whatever, they're like, oh, that's really nice. I could never do that. Right. But if you walk out with an iPad, you know, all of a sudden their curiosity is peaked because they're like, wait, I have, I have an iPad. What, what is he going to do? And so I set it up in a way where they can actually visually see what I'm doing. And so what I'll do is I'll play a pattern on the piano and then it goes into the iPad and then I loop that. And then, then, you know, you build seven, eight, 10 layers, what have you. And um, you just try to keep them engaged, keep them involved with something that they see every day. Yeah, because the the temptation would be to stay inside the box. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, I teach college and there are old professors who, which I'm veering towards these days, but there are old professors who <laughs> are, you know, there, there was one in particular who was a, a science fiction specialist. Cool. And he could talk to you all day about Ray Bradbury or about H.G. Wells. Yeah. But, and I mentioned something, I said, oh, have you seen, this is how old this conversation was. I said, what do you think of The Matrix? This is obviously 20 years ago. And he had never seen it. And then I, I went through a list of, of new science fiction authors, never read them. Oh. Um, you know, and I thought to myself, it's really easy 
to become stuck mm-hmm. and to not be looking at the way things are changing. Mm-hmm. Um, because you could be a purist and just mm-hmm. sort of stick in that small space. Um, but to bring in other elements, like for example, um, a lot of jazz musicians are listening to a lot of hip hop, mm-hmm. which you know is such a cool thing to be doing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and like you're talking about with, with Bjork and with Nine Inch Nails and um, the iPad, bringing in all these external things that you wouldn't think would be related. And it turns out they are. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it, and it's also, I, I love that. I love the fact about, you know, your conversation with the professor. I mean, you know, the idea of, you know, if it's, what's the word I'm looking for right now? That it's, if we're not used to it, it's very, almost confusing, almost uncomforting. We like to criticize what we're, what we're not comfortable with, right? And so like, you know, I could see where someone just wants to say, these are the books I read. These are the artists I listen to. You know, these are the paintings that I appreciate and, and nothing further. And, and for some people, I mean, that's fine. I mean, for some people, that's just, that's just where they are, you know, yeah. in life and, and what have you. Um, I have always tried not to record the same album over and over again. Um, and, you know, and sometimes that's been good and sometimes it's been not so good. It really just depends on the listener. But, you know, going back to the not manipulating music, I always have that mindset of I don't want to create the same album again, even though that album did really, really well, because that's just lazy. And then the other side of the coin is, but you have to be very careful not to go too extreme because then all of a sudden your audience is like, whoa, what just happened? Right. You know, so, um, you know, a couple of years ago, I did um, two EPs and they were completely improvised. One of them was with myself and a percussionist and it's called Summer Suite. And the other one was um, Autumn Suite, which is just guitar and piano. And they didn't sit well. And to be honest, it's really because that's really when I had just started having some success as solo piano. And so people would go to those albums and be like, wait, what? What is this? So you have to kind of be a little, you know, aware um, or incredibly successful to where you can record and release anything and not worry about it. Um, And so... I think for me, I, I love to push myself, but then I also have to sit back and and something I have really learned, which is actually why I don't play jazz as much, even though I still study it. I still take lessons. I still practice jazz every day um, just because of the color, but something that I've really learned, and this is kind of you know hard for people to hear, but people don't like to be challenged. And that's okay because like, you know, particularly, my gosh, particularly this past year, but people don't like to be challenged. You know, they, they come home from work or if they are now working from home um, to a noisy house, maybe leaking plumbing to, you know, bills to chaos, if they even have work at the moment. And, you know, there's just so much going on right now that the last thing that they want to do is sit down in a chair, turn on some music and say, okay, I'm going to focus what is so-and-so playing right now, you know, and who is the lineup, you know, and, and oh, that's the Phrygian scale. And so it's like, you, you know, there's a select few that are, that for them, that's their, you know, how they unwind. But for the majority of people that I have found, as far as just listening, 
they don't want to be challenged. And so for me, that was really difficult coming from a jazz background because when I started doing solo piano, I'm, I had this mindset of like, I'm going to push the envelope. I'm going to make this like super creative and like super hip. And I'm going to have like all these sub harm changes and X, Y, Z. And it, it just didn't land because that's not what people needed to hear. And it was also for me personally, I think a lot of the reason why I wanted to go that route is because I was very, I want to say insecure, to be honest, with my own self. Here's some vulnerability showing up. Um, to where like, I'm an incredibly quiet person, right? I'm so laid back. I walk with a cane. And just like, I'm very relaxed and very chill. And it took, it wasn't until 2013 that I became comfortable in my own skin as far as just music is concerned and that that album is called the space between and um there's an unbelievable guitarist and i'm gonna botch his name i know and we've even had dinner together but his name is gustavo santi ayala um who does um he does a lot of video games uh, last of us i think is what it's called um anyway unbelievable musician and there are times he's a guitarist and so there were times that I would listen to his music and he would play maybe four notes and then have this long pause and like play a couple of notes and a long pause. And I'm like, you're blowing my mind right now because he was so unapologetic with just like how much space he had. And I'm like, I want to be that. That's what musically where I'm drawn to. And then I basically said, so why aren't you doing it? And so you know, it was very freeing, that album, The Space Between, because it allowed me to kind of like shed that idea of, is it entertaining enough? You know, do I need to be wowing people? You know, do I need to be, you know, even just, I wrote the album in a day and I recorded the, the album the next day. And during the recording, it, there were times where like, I would even say to myself, stop rushing this. Like, let this sink in, like play these notes and let that seed get planted and let that listener hear that seed and allow them to nurture that seed and allow it to grow because it's going to affect them and whatever walk of life that they're experiencing at the moment. And so for me, that was a really beautiful wake up call, but also just kind of like a, you know, comfortable in my own skin kind of moment. So, yeah. And it's really interesting for people to hear that somewhere in your thirties, mm -hmm. right? You felt comfortable in your yeah. own skin. Like it took that much time. Yep. Exactly. Yeah. And, and, and it, it took a, and you know, I've been playing since I was five. I'm 45. Right. I've been playing 40 years. And it, to your point for me to be content and happy. And, and with that, it took a long time. Um, and, you know, it's one of those things where when I talk to musicians or when I speak somewhere, I, I always say, you know, don't change your path. Don't stop. Don't stop. So people will do like one album or two albums. And, and myself personally, there were times where it's like, I'm done. I'm not going to do this anymore. And I'd have one or two, you know, musician friends be like, no, no, you can't. You, you can't stop. And I'm so grateful because I look back at that, you know, one album in particular, it was 2010. And had I quit back then, 10, 11 years ago, what would I be doing right now? You know, and so every musician or every artist, you know, regardless of what the, the, the platform is, it's what we have to do. 
because it's inside of us, you know? So it's one of those things, if, if anyone's listening right now and you're ready to throw in the towel, um, don't, because uh, the world needs to hear you, you know? It, 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 and even if the world is just your mom listening to your music, then, you know, your mom needs to hear what you have to say. But I have a feeling there are more people out there that need to hear what you're doing or see what you're doing than just your mom. How earnest were you about stopping? Um, I was pretty, I was pretty legit because at that time, like I had, I'm so glad you asked that question. Um, it was when we had our newborn, we had a young, young kid. And it was one of those things where it's like, I'm done, forget it. You know, I need to go get a real job, you know? And it was one of those things where I was doing music, not full-time. I was doing it part-time in addition to like waiting tables and I was a wine director and then I was doing like teaching piano and I was also like a video editor kind of part-time. So honestly, I was just like trying to do everything I could. And I'll never forget this. Like we, um, the, I did four hours a day at a video editing job and long story short, the place closed up. And so at that time, you know, as a wine director, there was a position that opened up the really well-known place. And I, you know, told my wife, I was like, Hey, this is what's happened. You know, they've offered, so I'm just going to do that, take this. And, and she said, no, absolutely not. We will eat ramen noodles if we have to, but you're not going to go back into the restaurant industry. You are going to do your music. I don't know how you're going to do it, but you better find out. And at that point, that was really like a, a, such a beautiful eureka moment. You know, marry a strong person is what I always say. But you know, what made me change everything was having a family and having a kid now. Because like I had, you know, I was doing jazz gigs. And so I would get home at, you know, 11 o'clock at night. And, and with a newborn, I was like, God, I really don't want to be doing this every night you know I want to be able to put the kid down at you know whatever age and I want to be around and so that's when I really said okay I had to figure something out this there's this um my dad was a furniture designer so I grew up with you know my dad working from home and he told me at a young age he said you have to learn how to make money while you sleep there's only so many hours in a day there's only so many gigs or so many lessons or what have you. You have to learn how to make money while you sleep. And I never forget that because his, his income was royalty-based. And so with that notion, I just said, you know what? I'm going to try to get my music into film and television. I've got to try this. And so I made myself get up every morning at 4.45, and I had a quota. I had a template email and then I literally just scoured, just Googled every music licensing company or you know, music catalogs or whatever. And I, at the time, this was when SoundCloud was really big. And so I had three songs up on SoundCloud and I would send them this email with you know, the, 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 the template email and then the link to saying, hey, you know. And months go by nothing every day 4:45 every morning and i couldn't go back to bed or i couldn't stop until i had reached i think it was like 20 a day or something like that it was pretty ridiculous 6 months go by nothing and then finally one day i get this email from somebody it says hey i think i got a placement for your song this is awesome you know send it over and which he did and it was for an episode of MTV's Teen Mom 2 
I didn't even know there was like such thing as teen mom, you know, much less yeah. teen mom too. But I didn't care. I was like, that's awesome. That's all I need. And so I went back and I emailed all those people that either didn't respond or they responded with a no. And in the subject line, I said, featured artists on MTV, to which a couple of people actually responded and said, oh, send me some more of your stuff. And then eventually, you know, I was able to get a track put into a Walking Dead episode and then like to another TV episode. And so then you go back to all of those people and now you've got featured artists on Walking Dead or blah, 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 and what have you. And so little by little, it's kind of like, you know, the, the Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory, how he's got like this golden ticket. You just want to like wave it in front of everybody and be like, look at this. And so when I, when I talk to people, that's what I say. It's like even the most minuscule accomplishment, no matter how insignificant you think it is, wave it in front of as many people as you possibly can because someone's going to notice it and someone's going to say, oh, okay, he's actually, he's trying let me see if I can help this guy out, that he's actually trying. And so little by little, music got to the point for film and television licensing where I was making a really good income to the point where like, I didn't have to work, you know, odd jobs anymore. And it, it didn't happen overnight. It took, you know, a couple of years, but to the point where I was making enough to where I could do two things. I could record music and take a risk on it as Chad Lawson and then release that music and not worry if it fell on its face because I had those monies from licensing. And so I would divide my day, you know, half the day was music for licensing. The other half was like creative work. And so um, the interesting thing was I could then release music, not worrying. And those releases actually did well because you have that freedom about it. You right. weren't worrying. And the other side of the coin was, um, I didn't have to worry about gigs, right? So like if, if uh, you know, a festival in Berlin called and said, hey, you know, this is a huge festival. It's really great, but this is our budget. Be like, yeah, sure, totally. Really? Are you, really? Because I didn't have to worry about it because I had those monies coming in from licensing. So I wish someone would have pulled me aside earlier and said, it's great to have gigs and it's great to do your art. But I'm going to say something right now, Alex, that most musicians never want to hear or never want to say, which is go after the money. Go after the money. And I really wish that someone would have said that to me earlier and said, it's okay. Go after the money. Right. There's an amazing book called Make Art, Make Money. And it's basically breaking down the story of Jim Henson, of the Muppets, to where like he had this concept. And it's an amazing book. If you're listening, please pick it up. And his idea was, it's a very snowball effect. If I make this piece of art, then all of a sudden it makes some money. Now I've got some money to go back and make more art. And then that art is now going to make me more money. And then the more art, more money, so on and so forth. And so that really, for me personally, I know everyone is different. For, for me, that's really been the case, which is like, God, I really wish someone would have told me early on to have that mental divide to where you're saying it's the same thing as a part-time job. It's the same thing as waiting tables. I waited tables for 15 years. So why would someone say, you know, it's cool for an artist to wait tables, but not so cool for them to like write music that IBM would want to license and pay you a bunch of money for. Right. And so it's just like, I don't understand the, 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 the difference here. 
So, and which I, I, you know, I'm still, I'm grateful. I'm so grateful because I mean, I'm, you know, I, I still make percentages on stuff that I did years ago that's still getting relicensed. And so go after the money. It's okay. Well, you're, you're making money while you sleep. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Right. I mean, you know, there, I, there's been like two notifications, like while on my phone that while we've been on those conversations, because it gets, you know, a notification of when something gets licensed and you're just yeah. like, that's awesome. That's great. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, and also like, it, it's, you know, even this past year, you know, I, I know a lot of musicians right now. I mean, like world famous opera singers that are homeless right now because like their whole dependency has been on gigs and, and it, it guts me. It breaks my heart. And where it's, where it's like, I'm, I'm, I'm one of the lucky ones, man. I honestly, and I don't take it for granted in the least, you know, to where like, I'm, I'm one of the lucky ones as far as, um, you know, licensing and streams from streaming services. And I think it, it does get back to the idea of thinking outside of that prescribed space um, you know, you know, I love the Clash. I love the Ramones. Those albums are on major labels. Those, oh. those were not done on on DIY labels. Those were, that was on Sire and that was on CBS. You know, um, London Calling is a fiery punk rock album on CBS Records. Yep. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, what maybe four seconds of Blitz Craig Bop? I mean, and those guys are like, you know, millionaires every year just because of <laughs> you know Spider Man using it or whatever. I mean, it's right. just. You know, I don't think anyone's looking at them saying, oh, yeah, they sold out. No, <laughs> I think they're saying those guys are pretty freaking smart. You know? Right. So, and, yeah. and, I, and I'm thinking the same thing about you right now. And I'm thinking that this is so instructive, I think, for young musicians to hear. Mm. Um, because a lot of people worry about the traditional path of how am I going to make money? Forget the pandemic. How am I going to mm -hmm. make money as a young musician? Um, I want to get into the idea of education. You went to Berkeley. Um, mm -hmm. I've, I've spoken to um, a couple of faculty members. Paul Cole was on cool. the show um, and Bonnie Hayes was on the show. And I love them both. And I've also talked to some people who, who are graduates of, of the school and some felt that going to school for music kept them in that box and it didn't teach them. Bonnie talked a lot about being outside of the box but they didn't feel that they were given enough guidance maybe or encouragement mm. to think outside of what you would normally think, the way you're thinking. Mm -hmm. um, what was your experience? And in terms of that, do you think that is fostered or at least encouraged at that level? I, I think without even realizing that you really hit a nail on the head just a second ago. And if to anyone listening, it could have been really missed. Um, when you said some students didn't feel like they foster that environment. I don't think it's up to any environment, to be honest. I think we as creatives, you have to be curious. You have to wake up every single day. I, so I'm, I'm now on a major label, but I spent 20 odd years as an indie artist. Yeah. And I, I loved that. I loved it. Everything about it because I woke up every single day and I still do this even now, even more so of, I wake up every day and the very first thing I say to myself, what is the most impossible thing I can go after today? The most impossible. I mean, like I'm a dreamer, man. I'm a big dreamer, but there's a difference between dreaming and just 
you know, not doing it, not going after it. Being like, wish. Oh, I wish. Oh, I hate that word. I'd say four letter word for me. I wish. If only. Um, so going back to, you have to be curious. And so like, even though you may be in an environment where they don't foster that, that's not on them. That's on, that's on the artist. That's on the creative person. I left Berkeley after two years. Um, I'm not academia material. I'm not. I did poor in high school um, because all I wanted to do was play the piano. And so I even had, <laughs> they would be in so much trouble right now. But I mean, this was back in the you know, early 90s. Um, they would let me just skip class and be like, hey, go practice. But just make sure I got front row center whenever you're playing a big show. And because uh, they <laughs> believed in me and they knew, you know, I mean, I failed geometry and I begged her, you know, please. And she gave me a D and I couldn't be happier. And it's one of those things where it's like, I knew what I wanted to do. But if I just had been lazy about it and just kind of like loafing, then shame on me. But that wasn't the case. So I woke up every day and I was like, okay, what, what's the most impossible thing that I can do? And so... At Berkeley, I wanted to be a studio musician. I, want, I went there with the hopes of, because um, I, I grew up classically trained and then I auditioned at a conservatory and um, I told them that I wanted to be a studio musician. And then they said, well, you're in the wrong place. And so that's where Berkeley came about. And so while my two years at Berkeley, I was fortunate enough to where there weren't that many piano players there that were interested in doing recording sessions. And so since the school there is predominantly, you know, not predominantly, but a considerable amount of recording engineering students, they were always looking for musicians, be it solo or a band or what have you. And so I took every single one I could do. I literally, I was in that, I was in the, those studios until 6 a.m. many a times and my grades reflected that. And it got to the point where uh, it got to the point where I started getting phone calls outside the school from studios. They're like, hey, can you come play in the session? And I'm like, whoa. It's like, what am I doing? Why, why am I having my parents pay all this money, um, which I'm grateful for? Um, and so I dropped out, much to my mother's chagrin, after two years. And I took a gig with uh, a guy named Babik Reinhardt, Zhang Ho Reinhardt's son. Uh, he did a tour, and so I jumped on that, and that was my excuse to kind of get out of school. But I never stopped studying. Like I and I, you know, so I, I took a break from Boston. I came down to North Carolina for a little while, started doing my jazz trio. Then I went back to I went up to New York and lived there for quite some time. But all, all during that, I always made sure I was studying with someone be it remote or be it in person. So like, if school is not your thing, that's, that's okay. Because for some people it does define, you know, these are your steps, these are what you need to do. And so then all of a sudden when they have that piece of paper and they walk it across the stage and they're like, well, no one's told me what to do tomorrow. And right. it's one of those things where it's like, you have to understand, no one is going to do it for you. You have to be a problem solver. And, you know, the way I look at it is I love working backwards. You know, there's an amazing story how whenever, and when, whenever Amazon is going to release or create a product, they actually come up with the press release before they even begin, you know, putting pencil to paper. Like, okay, here's this idea. Let's write the press release of what this thing is, and then let's work backwards and let's build it. And I, I think your career should be the same way. Be like, okay, end result, what do I want to be doing? Well, I wanted to be a studio musician. 
okay, well, how do, do I go about doing that? Well, you jump on every recording opportunity that you can do. And so, you know, it's one of those things where it's like, it's not going to be in the book. Now, the other thing to say, though, is you cannot neglect your craft. This is why I still continue to study. You know, I have friends that make well into the six figures that can't read music to save their lives, but they do incredibly well musically. And that's fine for them. That would drive me nuts. If you are in a position where you can further your craft, further your craft, because it's only going to benefit you, right? And so it's only going to allow you to problem solve even more so. The other thing that I really wanted to mention is learn the business side. Like the, I've, I've had so many people that have reached out and been like, hey, can you help me like, you know, break into this whole music licensing thing? And, I, and so I was asked so many times, I actually had created a PDF for it. And so I would just send this, you know, send my friends this PDF and be like, follow these steps. When you're done with these steps, hit me up, let me know. And so they would reach back out and be like, have you done these steps? No, not yet, uh, not really. Well, then do your homework, right? And there was one guy in particular, an unbelievable pianist, amazing. He, he plays circles around me. And, and so I sent him the PDF and never really heard anything. And then I see on social media that he's now going to learn how to play saxophone. And it's like, hey, follow me. Uh, you know, here's a video of me with my very first hour playing sax and then following me along is like 10 hours, 100 hours, what have you. And he's a, he's a great saxophone player now. He's really, really talented. And he's really still broke. And I'm just like, good on you for learning a new instrument, but you did it because it's easy, because you know how to learn an instrument. I could learn saxophone because I've, I know how to play piano. And so I can take those elements. It goes back to like people criticize what they're, they're not comfortable with. This is like, oh, I don't want to do it. It's too much work. Well, yeah, of course it's going to be work, you know? Uh, and so like you have to sit down and you have to learn communication. You know, you have to learn the, 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 the business aspects of certain things. You know, I, I always joke that waiting tables was the best thing that ever happened to me. It was. it was. Waiting tables was like the best thing musically that ever happened to me. Because at any given time, you had 25 people in your circumference that you had to connect with, each with different personalities. And like spontaneously, like on the spot. And a lot of them, they were grumpy or they were just what have you. You had to adapt and you had to figure out what made that person the way they were. And so for me personally, it got to be a challenge where like, I wanted those difficult people. So when they came in and they were grumpy or, you know, it was raining outside and they didn't have an umbrella and they were just like snarky, I, I told, you know, the hostess and they knew I want those people because I want to figure them out. And so you bond with them and you connect with them. And so it's the same way with like music. It's like I could sit in my studio right here and I could practice 16 hours a day. But unless I make a connection with someone that's going to say, hey, you know what? I think we should put your music out in front of the public. What's the point? Why should I be, you know, practicing so long if I can't cater to the other side, which is getting it in front of people? Um, so, I mean, I don't know. There's this... this I think artists, and I mean this in the best of way, and I think maybe that's what Berkeley kind of also gave me an idea was, was they've created something 
that is business model. It's going to make them money, but it's for them. And I think that's, there's pros and cons and I'm, I'm not pooping on Berkeley. I think, you know, I think it's really great for, for certain people. I just know yeah. for me, I just wanted to um, be more curious in my endeavors. I think with you, what's really interesting is that you're not afraid to be uncomfortable. And I think that's so crucial. And, and I, I almost feel that your comfort is coming from being uncomfortable. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> right yes uh, that's that's honestly it because like if if we were all comfortable we would all sound the same we'd all look the same you know and just and the world doesn't need that you know the world i'll never be and you know and, and i'm on this i'm very i'm a big believer in speaking things into being so like whenever you put a word out there when it comes out of your mouth those words have power and they'll, yeah. they'll land somewhere. So be careful whatever you say. And, you know, I used to be one of those people where, you know, people would say, well, what do you want? And I used to say, oh, I just want to pay my bills. That's all. I just want to play music and pay my bills. And I had a slap in the face, you know, kind of metaphorically with that, where it's like, why am I saying that? Why am I putting those words out there? I, I want more than that. And there's nothing wrong with that. I don't right. I have no desire to like, I, dude, my clothes are Walmart, you know, and I, I don't care. I, I, I have no desire to like have a Ferrari or something like that, but I like food, <laughs> you know, I like, I like to have a roof over my head and, you know, I like not having to sleep on the floor. And so it's okay to like, you know, to say to yourself, you know what, I'm going to be creative, but also I want to be able to, to make a living at this. And so I had to make sure that I, I stopped saying those words of, I just want to pay my bills. And to circle all of this up with the whole, you know, pushing yourself and making yourself uncomfortable is I found that when you get super comfy and when you do the same thing over and over again, then it's, you're, you're going to be left behind. You know, do you remember like when you two, that album they did, was it Zuropa that came out and everybody was like, what the heck, man? What happened to you too? Yeah. And now it's one of those albums where you just go back and you're like, oh my God, this is so good. And they just continued to grow, continued and continued. And then when you find bands like Train, whatever, whatever happened to them? Whatever happened to Train? You know, so you had Train and you had Maroon 5 at the same time. Maroon 5, and regardless like where you think they are like creatively or what have you, one of them is still around and the other one not so much because like one of them knew they had to adapt and they had to like stay ahead and see what's around the corner. And the other one was like, hey, this song did really well for us. We're going to do a whole nother album, just that song. And they're not around. And so we have to say, you know what? I want to be the weakest guy in the room. I want to be the one that doesn't know everything. You know, and that, that's honestly, that is why I'm so quiet because I don't learn as much when I do all the talking. And so I would much rather listen to someone because then I'm going to say, huh, yeah, I don't know as much as what I should. So now I need to go back and study. I need to practice. I, I need to practice business. Yeah. You know, I need to like, you know, read as much as I can as far as like, you know, you know, communication as far as like, how do you connect with people, you know? Um, 
I don't know, I know I'm getting off topic here, but I, I think the interesting thing is if I can really like speak into any younger musicians or anyone that's like trying to do this for a living, it's not about the music, you know? I mean, it is, you know, you want it to be pure. You want to, to make sure like what you do resonates with people. Um, but you also have to, have to have that mindset of it is a business, you know, and you have to like find a way of being creative and, and going after those impossibles. I mean, you know, for me, one of those impossibles was getting my music on NPR years ago. And so it's one of those things where it's like, you know, I sent in my music to, you know, a couple of shows and one producer reached back out and said, hey, this is fun. I can actually use this as bumper music. And so, you know, I was like, great. And so I kept in touch with that person. And then, you know, long story short, I was invited to be on an NPR show and then, you know, became friends with one of the producers in that show. And then, you know, they've moved on. And so like, it's one of those things where it's like relationships are the key to everything. They are. The relationships, you know, don't ignore someone um, just because you you think you're you've really got something to say and you're the greatest thing in the room, where it's like a lot of times it's the people that aren't musical. <laughs> I saw a bumper sticker years ago and I never forgot it. It's the artless and control of the arts. And a roundabout way, that's really true. And it's sad, but it's but it's just a fact of life. And so you know you have to go with that concept of, okay, well how do I connect with those people that you know can barely play radio, but you know, they manage what goes on the radio. And, and so you have to have that mindset. You have to be humble. You have to like realize that it's usually the least creative people that have the most influence as far right. as like where your music falls. And that's a hard pill to swallow, man. That's a hard pill to swallow.
you know, for example, Madonna is not necessarily the best singer, but talk mm -hmm. about a brilliant marketer. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, I, I don't know what her musical proclivity really is. I don't, I don't think that it really is formidable. Um, you, you know, no disrespect, uh, but I, I don't think that, that that's really her, her great strength. Um, the strength has always been the marketing of it, the imagining of it. And, and what you're talking about is really interesting to me because <clears throat> I was thinking about how you can get comfortable in a relationship oh. and that comfort can destroy it. I think I've done this, Chad. I think I've ruined, now that we're talking about it, I think I, I'm, I'm reverse engineering and I'm realizing why some relationships with, with some uh, women I've dated have ended. And I think it's because I got too comfortable and maybe stopped innovating or stopped challenging the relationship. Isn't, I mean, even in marriage, aren't you finding that you have to be, you can't get too comfortable. Zsa Gabor has this amazing quote and she's like, men are like fires you have to tend to it or they just die out. And, and it's, it's so true. It's like relationships. You know, we, my wife and I, we've been married almost 15 years and she knows nothing about music, nothing about music. She, she'll hear something and she'll be like, that's, you know, that's really great. That's going to land well. But she doesn't really know anything about music. And, and we actually don't even listen to music around the house. We listen to NPR pretty much nonstop. Um, and I think for me, that's really helpful because in some ways it's, it's a little disappointing because like when I have like a really high day or like a great moment or something, you know, unbelievable happens, I'll go in and say X, Y, Z. And she'll be like, oh, that's nice. Hey, what did you want for dinner? And like, oh, come on. Just give me this moment, you know, but also it allows me to recognize that it, it kind of stays here at the door in my studio. When I leave the studio, you know, it's no different than doing Excel spreadsheets, you know, in a roundabout way. If I, if I want to tend to that relationship, again, it's going outside of your element to find something that can feed your creativity, right? And just like, what, how is my interaction with my wife or my kids or, you know, the freaking puppy that we just got, you know, it's just like, how do I bring that into? Well, patience and realizing that, you know, you're not the most important thing in the room. And it's like, how do you, how do you tend to that not only relationally, but also musically? And you, you go back, um, I loved how you brought up Madonna. If you look at Lady Gaga, at the core, she wants to be a jazz singer, you know? I mean, that, the stuff that she has done with Tony Bennett is unbelievable. And, and a couple of summers ago, I was teaching a jazz masterclass at a camp here. And so, um, Lady is a Tramp. I don't know if you've heard she and he do Lady is a Tramp. And she just, she slays it. And so like, you know, here's this jazz camp with like, you know, 40 students that are all just unbelievable players. And, and so I put it on. I'm like, hi right, guys, who is this? You know, blind listening test. And they're like, Tony Bennett. I'm like, great. It's like, who else? They couldn't name her. Couldn't name her. And it's like, Lady Gaga. What? No, get out of here. No way. No. She did it so brilliantly because I think she recognized, hey, you know what? Jazz is such a small niche, such a small audience that if I just go head on and try to establish myself as a jazz singer, I'm, it's not going to work and I won't be able to do this for a living full time. So let me work for this backwards. Again, it's finding where you want to land and work backwards from that. And that's exactly what she did. She's like, let me take the pop route. Let me blow up. 
And then now let me sing jazz standards. And that's what she's doing. And she, you know, is best buds with Tony Bennett for Pete's sake. So, you know, it's one of those things where it's like, you can do anything you want. You just have to look at it and say, okay, what are the steps that I'm, that I'm going to take? What steps do I need to take? And what steps do I not really want to take perhaps where that would come naturally that I need to learn how to be able to work with? And I, and I think that's the difference. I think, you know, when you have higher academia, say chapters one through 10, then once you're done with those chapters, you have to say, okay, well, the guy that wrote this book, what was he reading? You know, as a pianist, I mean, that's how I've always viewed things. You know, like I, I grew up, you know, like, um, like Almond Brothers, you know, you had, and then like Stevie Ray Vaughan, you had like Reese Wines like playing for Stevie Ray Vaughan, who was an unbelievable pianist. And then in my mindset was like, okay, well, what was Reese listening to when he grew up? And then you find out who that was and you find out like who the person before then, before then. And that's, you know, you have to be curious because if I just wanted to play like, you know, um, I don't know, Stevie Wonder. And then I was great at like mimicking Stevie Wonder. Then what are you gonna do after that? It's just like, you know, there's already a Stevie. So, you know, go back and do your history. You know, who, what did Stevie listen to and who did they listen to? And there's that constant theme of just having to be curious. And a lot of times being curious, you know, to your point, Alex, is it does take you out of your comfort zone. And yeah. So you have to be okay with that. Well, I think about people like Lady Gaga, who seems very comfortable in her skin as an artist mm. really early on. But I think the best example I can think of would be Billie Eilish. Oh. Is somebody who I find her so fascinating. Talk my heartstrings, man. Isn't she amazing? And what's her. incredible about her, I mean, when I was her age, I was just a jerk. You know, I didn't know who I was. As I, knew I, I knew I wanted to I don't to see you as a jerk. I can't imagine you ever being a jerk. <laughs> well, I, didn't know, I, mean, I knew I wanted to write. I didn't really know how to do it. I didn't know. Um, I had so far to go. I had 30 more years to go you know, because um, I got comfortable much later even than, than you did, <laughs> comfortable like around four months ago. Um, oh, that's good. But the idea that, that Billie Eilish knows, she, I mean, she seems very comfortable, very poised, but her comfort level is different because she seems comfortable with space, right? She's not filling every note, even in her videos where there's these moments where I just saw this new one where she's at a con walking through a mall, right, right, through a mall right, right. and moments where she, the music stops when she jumps behind the counter and then it starts again when she takes the food. It's brilliant. And I think yeah. that her understanding of those spatial moments is nothing short of remarkable. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you know, if you look at her history, you know, she was a part of the LA choir, like the children's choir or something like that. I don't know the exact name. So she had that, that traditional educational course to where she learned her craft, right? She wasn't just a, a kid that just sang in the shower and then all of a sudden it's like a YouTube success. She did the homework. And so now she knows, you know, if when you listen to her sing, she has the prowess to be able to say, I know I can sing, but now I know what I don't have to put there, right? It's like, you know your ability, but you don't have to flex. But when you do flex, 
yeah beautiful it's amazing you know um but all that comes with mastering your craft all that comes with discipline which is really hard and 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 you know even teaching my kids music i'm i'm not doing it as in like i i don't to be honest i don't want them to be musicians because it's such a difficult life um but it's one of those things where it's like even my teaching them i have to just give them space and allow them to say hey i'm really curious or not and then when you look at like billy it's like an artist like billy or phineas her brother who's just freaking brilliant um, I, cause I, I did a cover of, um, when the party's over and right. Phineas wrote that. And what was so fascinating is, you know, I would, I would sing the song like a thousand times in my head. And then, and then when I actually sat down to learn it by ear, I looked at it quarterly and I was like, this is crazy. It's so insane. Like how heady the, the melody and the chord patterns are. So, cause if you sit down and if you play the melody, it's climbing this scale that Phineas created and it's just, it's super unique. Right. And so like, it is heady. It's almost like a jazz approach where like it is scholastic, but you have the vulnerability, this like broken heart gut, unapologetic passion that Billy has. And so when you have those two, you have someone that's done the homework and then you have someone that's had a, that's had a heartbreak and you bring those two together, oh my word, it's, you know, that's, it's, what more could you ask for? And, you know, even, even you were saying, you were tending to relationships a second ago, it's interesting you brought that up. I, I think those, those are good to have. I think those breakups are really good to have though. Uh, not at the time, you don't experience it, you don't feel like you're, um, you know, it's the right thing to do or, or vice versa. I'll never forget playing an audition for this Broadway kind of show kind of thing. And this girl came up and um, she wanted to sing uh, My Man Is Gone, uh, Gershwin. And, and she sang it with the biggest smile you could possibly imagine. <laughs> and like here she is singing like, you know, the song about like, you know, her greatest love has now left. And she's just like, you know, doing the whole Broadway kind of glitz, kind of happy kind of thing. And we all just looked at each other and and she was young, you know? And so I, I asked her, I said, um, have you ever, have you ever, have you ever been dumped? And she just kind of looked at me in a kind of odd way. And she said, no, no, what a, what a strange question. Why would you ask that? But it made sense because she had never experienced heartache. She'd never, you know, had a man just dump her, right? And so, you know, again, it goes back to taking those life experiences and applying them to, to music. And so when, you know, going back to the whole, when the party's over, you can tell just by listening to Billy when she sings that she's got that broken heart element, but that she also has the skill and the ability to deliver that because she's done her homework and mastered her craft of singing in the past so and so young to do that is remarkable oh, right geez. yeah no joke man so it's, it's amazing it's so fun yeah it's a friend fun. of mine said that her he finds her music to be um he comes from he's a punk rock guy but he he was in a punk band he 
he says it's almost too intimate for him. But he recognizes mm. that it's brilliant. But he says, it's, uh, he says, I don't want to know that much about this person. It's too intimate. <laughs> you know, and I, I do get it because it does feel incredibly insular. Yeah. With the way yeah. it's delivered. But, yeah. um, but I really like that. I like the fact that she's so comfortable with those spaces. She reminds me of Dylan in the sense that being this young and this um, developed mm. is remarkable. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Be kind of curious to see what she'll be like in ten years, uh, or yeah. five, or five. No joke, <laughs> right? I mean, yeah. or even ten days at this point. Yeah, yeah. It, it's yeah. remarkable. Any of us, to be honest, <laughs> any of us, you know, yeah. especially with everything. So, I, I, I joke. Our um, uh, the the school that our kids go to, they all went back to campus, and we've we've been super strict. I mean, we haven't pretty much left the house since March of last year. We haven't been to a restaurant or anything like that since, gosh, over a year. And um, so you know, the, the kids, their, their schools went back to campus and we just weren't cool with it. So we pulled them out. And so we're doing the whole, you know, homeschooling and you know, like kind of jazz. And, um, you know, I joke that if a bottle of wine is open at 10 o'clock in the morning, I don't judge. I don't say anything at this point, you know? Um, so I'm really kind of curious what's going to happen a year from now. As, you know, when we all come out of this, like, who who are we going to be at this point? You know? Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. Who knows? Um, a listener question. Uh, one of our listeners, uh, Jack Marinda, who's an aspiring piano player, wanted to know, you know, you're a Keith Jarrett guy. You meant, oh, yeah. right? Um, what is your take on improvisation and are you comfortable with, with that concept? Yeah, very much. Um, and because once again, it, there's, there's two things. Um, you can't improvise you, without knowing your language. And then two, you never know what, you, what you're going to say. I mean, the interesting thing about improvisation is like, imagine writing a, a, a paragraph with no eraser because when you're when you're recording like an album and a studio or whatever you can always go back and be like hey let me fix this part let me redo this let me do this with improvisation there's no eraser like what comes out what you say is what you say and so there's two things you can either sound really intelligent or you can sound like you're faking it and so for me personally i'd rather sound intelligent and so that's why i study the way that i do and what I love so much about improvisation is that it allows freedom. So I actually, there are elements when I perform live where it is improvisatory um, because I, there are so many things that are different. The, the, the venue is different. The audience is different. And so what I'm experiencing, you know, there was a show, there was a festival last year in Germany where uh, it was just heavy. You know, it was a church um, super small church. It was about 300 people and they were, you know, sitting on the floor and there was just like, you could hear a pin drop and it was so intimate. And there were, I have children now, and there were elements that I went musically. I honestly had to turn my face away from the audience because I was crying and because like it was so powerful. And if it's one of those things where it's like, when you have that ability to improvise, and when you have that avenue to just like completely go off somewhere else and respond to the audience or respond to the fact that your flight was delayed or missed or what have you, and you're wearing, you know, a t-shirt and jeans and because your luggage is lost for 10 days and I've experienced all the, all of these, um, 
you you can sit down and you can be really transparent and 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 musically and people love that and people see that and people hear that you know i've seen keith a couple of times live and it was one of those things where it's like you know there's an old story i haven't seen it but there's an old story of like back in the 70s or the 80s when he played saturday night live that he actually came and he sat down on the piano and he looked at the audience and he says what key and someone said you know b flat or whatever and he just puts his head down and he just starts right oh, i mean that's just like goals right there but what he is playing is a reflection of what his day week hour was right and so like if i sit down if i played a piece of music that you like okay i don't want i don't i don't want to get political but if i sit down and if i play a piece of music that someone in the audience were on the same idea of certain things, you know, or maybe same experiences, you know, what have you, um, they're going to feel that. Whereas if I just sat down and I played the same song exactly the way it was recorded, then, you know, I don't know. I just don't feel like there's a whole lot of emotion into that. Um, but then you do have to be careful. I'm sorry to ramble here. You do have to be careful though, because um, you don't want to lose that person. You don't want to lose the audience. And uh, it really, for me personally, I mean, I know you've got like people like Brad Mildow that can just like sit and just like improv for hours. And I think his audience is like, oh, this is really cool. Um, but for me personally, I, I want to be able to have that freedom to improvise. Going back to what you're saying about Billy, of like having that ability to do it, but also knowing that you don't have to do it. Um, so if you don't know how to improvise, I would really encourage you. There's a litany, litany of YouTube videos out there um, because this, it's just going to push you even harder into your craft, right? Because like if you just sit down, if you write only what you know, it's the peanut butter and jelly sandwich for six months, you know? And so like I really encourage you to go after even just the tiniest bit. And if it's not your thing, then say, hey, you know what? This isn't my thing, but at least I tried. But I think what's going to happen is when you try to learn improvisation and you begin to hear different things and you're beginning to feel uncomfortable and you're being pushed and you're being curious, that's when you really start opening up and you've now gone from, you know, one up to three. And you're like, oh, this is amazing. Again, it goes back to that make money, make art thing. When you're making art and you're seeing growth from that art, you're just going to want to make even more art. And, you know, I look at myself as saying, I'm going to play piano for the rest of my life, no matter what. And so I think many musicians that are listening, you're going to play your instrument for the rest of your life, no matter what. So why not go ahead and like, you know, take some really good food with that and really take some moments of just learning how to be better at your craft, even if it's not something that you want to do professionally or, or make a living off of. But, you know, taking that approach of saying, I want to push myself. I want to be curious. Unbelievable, man. Like just what a fun chat. I, I really, I really, I really have just, I've gotten so much out of this. Oh uh, man. Thank you so much. Unbelievable. I mean, even, you know, whether you're a romantic partner, you're being a, a, a musician, you're being a father, you're being a friend. Um, you have to, you have to make sure 
that you keep making it new. And it reminds me, there's a great quote from Sartre that <clears throat> he said, merit has to be proven every day. Mm. You can't just be like, right? You can't be like, oh, here's my friend, Alex. He's the funny guy. It's like, that's not good enough. You have every day, you've got to be something better or something different. Yeah. Uh, and that only comes from challenging yourself. And, oh man, what a, I love this conversation. There, there, there was a famous country singer, and I can't remember her name right now, um, Loretta Lynn. And she yeah. said, you have to be either first, best, or different. Yeah. That's first, nice. best, or different. And that really honestly is. That, that's if you want to, like, you know, if you want to go after this, which you should, I don't care what you're doing, you should go after this, first, best, or different. I'm not first, so I need to figure out if I'm going to be best probably not going to be best, um, then I should at least be different. And so, you know, you, you build on that and you find those elements of, I, 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 I have no intention of being like, you know, Rachmaninoff. I don't, I don't. And, and I have to, for a season there was, of like, I have to be the greatest pianist ever. <laughs> no, I don't, you know, because there's always going to be somebody better than you. Um, now, I do want to be the best at my sound, I want to be the best of like what I put out there and what my voice is. You know, I don't want to be lazy. I don't want to be, and this year has been really difficult with, you know, the pandemic and everything. To some degree, I feel like I'm only getting like 30% capacity of work, to be honest. But you know what? If that's the case, then it's going to be the best darn 30% I can try to put out there. Um, but, you know, best first are different. And, uh, you know, it, it all goes back to the idea of if you're going to be doing this for the rest of your life, why not at least try to get better at it? Hey, I hope you'll come back on the show. I really I would love to. Thank you so much for having me. Really, it's been a blast, to be honest. Wasn't that fun? Chad Lawson. If you're an artist of any kind, uh, that conversation, I would imagine, uh, was uh, something that would be very valuable for you. Regardless of what stage you're in, in your artistic career, uh, lots of wisdom from Chad Lawson. There's lots of cool stuff from Chad Lawson in addition to his wisdom. Uh, ChadLawson.com. Check out what's going on in Chad Lawson's corner of the world. Uh, there's sheet music, there's apparel, there's some really cool bundles uh, that you can, uh, you can buy. His music's amazing, and, uh, and do yourself a favor and acquaint yourself with, uh, with Chad Lawson's work. You can visit me at alexgreenonline.com. Uh, I have no apparel, I have no sheet music, but I've written some books, and uh, feel free to uh, check those out and order them from your local indie bookstore. Don't go the Amazon route. Who needs a drone flying into your bathroom while you're in the shower going, hey, here's your book, punk, and then it flies out and you're like, oh, that was cool. Why is that cool? I don't think that's cool. The cool thing is going to your indie bookstore and saying, hi, Kathleen, 
who owns the store. How are you? Nice to see you in person. Though we're wearing masks, I appreciate you having this book that I will be buying, and I'm supporting you and the author. (laughs) I'm taking this way too far. You get the idea. You know how it works. Uh, You can follow me on Twitter, at Ember's Editor. You can follow me on Instagram, at Ember's Podcast. You can also email me, editor, at StereoEmbersMagazine.com. Stereo Embers, the podcast, is available on all podcast platforms. Find one we're not on, and I'll give you an ice cream cone. I'm pretty sure we're on all of them. I'm sure you could probably find some obscure platform that uh, that doesn't contain us. And if that's true, send me a note about it, and I will make sure we're on there in 24 hours. We'll send our people to rough some folks up and uh, get us on their platform. We don't do that. We have no people, and we don't believe in roughing people up. We just want to spread the word. You can spread the word by telling all your friends about our show. We would appreciate it. In the meantime, subscribe and uh, leave us a nice rating. A couple of stars would be helpful. Maybe uh, a comment or two. Yes, we do read them. Who wouldn't? Visit Bombshell Radio at bombshellradio.com. I think that's all the businessy stuff I have. It's a lot, but that's it. Let's close the show with a longer listen, a fuller listen, in fact, to Chad Lawson's song, Stay. Enjoy it. And thank you, as always, for listening. I'll see you next time right here on Stereo Embers, the podcast only on Bombshell Radio.